0: Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. We'll look at those uh, tonight. We're looking at the parable of the wheat and the tares. And let's go to verse number 24. It says here, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started this evening. Father, we do thank you, uh, Lord, for this portion of Scripture. Um, Oftentimes uh, we view the Scripture and we we don't really know uh, or understand uh, what all it's about. Father, I just pray that tonight. Uh, You'll help us with our understanding of of why you gave this this parable and how it can help us and and prepare us and help us to to know what the future holds. Father, I do pray that you would just bless. And Lord, if there's someone here that's not saved, God, I do pray that you would touch their heart this evening and that they would want to receive Christ as their Savior tonight before it's too late. Father, we do love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, um, the parable of the tares... Uh, is a very interesting parable. Um, it's gonna be dealing with a lot of t- with the end times. And so, last couple of weeks, we've been in Luke chapter 21 on our Wednesday night Bible studies, and we've been dealing a lot with Jesus prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem and, and end times. And, um, and oftentimes, when it comes to the future, people are very, uh, shy or hesitant about wanting to know or wanting to understand or, or they get so focused on it that they discard the rest of Scripture. And um, when I first got saved, I didn't know really nothing about the Bible. And so I thought, well, I could understand prophecies, end times, all that kind of stuff. And so the very first book of the Bible I tried to read was Revelation. And um, needless to say, I read maybe up to chapter 4 or 5, and it was way over my head. I knew nothing what was going on. and And I got very discouraged by that. And so, for me, the longest time was uh, and the hardest thing was learning about the future, the end times. And, uh, and, and I, was always, I was always intimidated by it because it, it is confusing sometimes. It is, we don't understand all of it because, again, it's the future. We don't, we're not going to understand everything that is going to happen. But God helps us by giving us glimpses and a good understanding of what's going to happen. And so tonight, I want to to help uh, uh, with your understanding about uh, a particular couple of things. And as we look about the parable of the tares, uh, the reason why Jesus spoke in parables was to challenge hearers to think, and especially those who desired to know the truths that Jesus was teaching. The reason why he also spoke in, in parables was to weed out those who just gathered and, and followed just to see the miracles. And uh, he wanted people to, 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 if they really wanted to understand, he used these. Uh, he was also fulfilling a messianic prophecy from Psalm 78, two by speaking in parables. But when Jesus did use parables, he used subjects that were easy to associate with and understand. In this instance, it was about farming. Now, in the previous uh, verses in chapter uh, 13... It was about the sower planting and the seeds falling into different soils. Now, everything written in the Bible is very important and edifying and instructive to you as a born-again Christian. But not everything written in the Bible applies to you specifically. Some portions of Scripture are applied specifically to the Jews, not to Gentiles. And so here, this portion of Scripture is not applied to Christians. It's applied to the Jews. Um, Matthew is the only writer who records this instance of the tares and the wheat. And what is his audience that he writes his gospel to? The Jews. So he's helping them to and to prepare them for something that's going to happen in the future that they're going to be a part of to prepare themselves for, and we're not going to be there for it. Uh, to Well, we will be there, in the. I'll get to it in a second. <laughs> um, but this is one of those portions of Scripture that... For the most part, it doesn't apply to us specifically, but it's a portion of Scripture that we need to learn so that we understand what's going to happen in the future. Um, this parable is one that Jesus used to teach people in regards to his millennial reign. Uh, this is what the Jews were expecting the Messiah to establish. This is what they thought the Messiah was going to be coming to do. His disciples thought that, didn't they? When they came in, they thought that, especially when he came in on, uh, uh, right before the, on the Feast of Passover and, and the triumphant entry, that Jesus was going to become king and establish a physical kingdom on earth, but that wasn't the correct timing. But he will eventually have this kingdom, and this is what he is talking about here in this portion of Scripture. Now, this evening, let's take a look at what God is telling us and showing us as a born-again Christian today through this parable, and how we can apply it and learn from this. Now, first of all, what is the millennial reign of Christ? Uh, This is one of the most hated and least understood doctrines of the Bible, yet one of the most important in rightly dividing the truth, which is a separation of church age doctrine from tribulation doctrine. Now, some churches don't like to hear about this because they think that the church has replaced Israel. And that all the promises and everything is now to the church, and the Jews are now pushed aside, which is not true. Uh, yes, we have the church age now. The focus is the Gentiles are getting saved. We've been adopted into the family of God. But this is only for a short period of time, in God's eyes. And so uh, there's going to come a day where our time, the time of the Gentiles, is going to be finished, and, we're not, and, and now and God's going to turn His attention back to the Jews, and the Jews are going to come back to God. And this is what we're going to be dealing about here specifically. Um, and it's, it's important to understand this because a lot of people, they are incorrect when they, when they just kind of place the Jews as done and finished and God's no longer uh, focused on them. Um, but the millennium is actually a real, physical, and not a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven um, is what God calls it. Jesus will rule the earth with a rod of iron. Hold your place in here. Go to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to be doing a lot of scriptures tonight, so I do hope that you are ready and prepared. Um, Revelation 19, verse 15. This is talking about the end here. We'll, We'll look at it again later tonight. But for now, look and understand In Revelation 19.15, he says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress to the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. So during the millennium, uh, Jesus is going to be sitting on the throne, and he's going to be ruling the the, the earth with a rod of iron. We're going to understand a little bit why he has to do that as we understand this parable. Now, uh, there is a false teaching that... Both the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is just a spiritual kingdom of the believers of this world. There is a false teaching of that. There's actually, they're they're different. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, and the kingdom of heaven is a physical kingdom. One day, though, they will be one and the same, but not right now. Right now, they're two different things. And so sometimes people get confused thinking, uh, what is the kingdom of God and what is the kingdom of heaven? We're going to look at a little bit of that tonight. So first of all, I want you to go and turn to Mark chapter 1. Again, we're going to be using our Bibles a lot tonight. Mark chapter 1, verse number 14. Just going to show you some of the differences and how we can understand what God is talking about here when he talks about kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. And uh, and what he was talking about here in the parable of tears. he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's not right now. It is a future kingdom now mark chapter 1 verse number 14 he says here um now after that john was put in prison jesus came into galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of god so he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of god so he's preaching the spiritual kingdom now to the jews and and to now us He preached the kingdom of God, righteousness and holiness, and the spiritual kingdom. Now, go with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse number 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come... He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. In other words, you can't see it come. It's not a visible, physical kingdom that you can see right in front of you. Uh, verse number 21. And neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there, it's here or it's there. Uh, For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So there's this, that's the spiritual kingdom. It is within us. The kingdom of God is, that, is, the, is salvation. Um, because the Lord used the terms Kingdom of Heaven and Kingdom of God interchangeably in places of the four Gospels, most Christians think that they're one and the same. They will be, but not until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when He rules the world for a thousand years on the throne of David in Jerusalem. Let's go to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, verse number 36. Now listen to this. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But look at this key phrase. But now is my kingdom not from hence. There's a specific word in there that is very key. In this particular passage, the word now is not speaking about uh, the spiritual kingdom of God within the heart of the redeemed, but a literal political kingdom yet to come to the earth. So he's saying, but now is my kingdom not from here? He's saying, I do have a kingdom, but it's not coming yet. It's not here yet. And so he's talking about the physical kingdom that's going to come, that's going to happen. Now, you should also take note that the word now has been removed from all of the newer Bible translations. They removed that word. So all I see is just the kingdom of God. Uh, sorry here, it says, but, but is my, um, but is my kingdom not from hence. So when they do that, when they take out just that one word, um, it changes the whole thing. Um, the reason is because most of the translators of today's Bibles are amillennial or amillennial, meaning that in their position of prophecy, they believe that they don't reach, they don't believe in a literal return of the Lord Jesus Christ to reign on earth for a thousand years. They don't believe it's it's actually going to happen. They thought, well, it's just something that's spiritual. It's just a spiritual thing. But it's not true. Jesus here is saying, my kingdom will come. It's not here just yet. This physical kingdom is not here yet. But it will be in the future. So he's trying to help us understand that the, his kingdom is going to come in the future. Um, now, Jesus at the moment is not reigning over the kingdom of heaven right now in a sense. Which is earth that will one day be earth. Satan is. Let's look at Matthew 11, 12. Right now, over the kingdom of heaven, so to speak, kingdom of earth, Jesus is not the ruler yet. There's someone else at the moment. Someone who's been given power and authority over it. Chapter 11, verse number 12. Okay. verily, uh, let see here. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. So you're kind of wondering how in the world can the kingdom of heaven um, have... Let's see here. Um, you need to ask yourself the question. If the kingdom of God is within you, and if the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are one and the same as some people believe, how could anyone take it out of you by violence? Can you lose your salvation? Can someone take your salvation from you? No. So the kingdom of God cannot be this physical kingdom that is being talked here in verse number 12. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. So it's not a, it's the spiritual kingdom right now. It is a physical kingdom that is, that is ruled and controlled by somebody else. Let's look at Luke chapter 4. In verse number six, probably a very familiar passage of scripture to most people. Chapter four, verse number six says this, and the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them for that for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. go to verse number one as well. It says here, And you hath ye quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also ye, we had all of our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." So right now, temporarily, the devil has, has been given control of this world, of this earth. It's just a temporary power that, that he has. Um, but one day he will be defeated, and he will be losing his so-called kingship uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back. So right now he just has a temporary power. Um, that's why it seems like wickedness always prospers, whereas those who try to live godly and, and do justly Suffer persecution. Uh, It is because the devil always empowers those who are against God. Uh, Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse number 6. Just trying to help you understand a little bit of the difference here of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Two different things right now. Acts chapter 1, verse number 6. Says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? So, or the kingdom to Israel. So what are they still thinking that Jesus is going to do? Give him a physical kingdom, right? So they're thinking that Jesus is about ready to ascend up to heaven. You're gonna you're gonna it's now the kingdom, right? This is where we're gonna start, right? But look what he says in verse number seven. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So, um, when they were asking, for, is it now time for this literal kingdom, the Lord says it's not for them to know the time when that literal kingdom, which is the kingdom of heaven, will take place. Until that time, though, the disciples were given power to preach the kingdom of God, repentance towards sin and righteousness through faith in the risen Savior who will return to earth one day and rule over the whole earth from Jerusalem. So until that time, they are supposed to be preaching the kingdom of God until the kingdom of heaven comes. Now, to explain the parable of the tares. Okay, go back to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Okay, uh, so the millennial is, or the millennium is going to happen immediately after the, tri- the tribulation. Now, we're not going to read all that scripture this evening right now, uh, but go ahead and write that down. It, it talks most of, of what the, the, uh, the millennium is going to be is in Revelation nineteen eleven 11 uh, through 20, verse 8. But just kind of give you an idea, just a quick uh, synopsis of what's going to happen. So right now, we're here. We're in the church age. But the resurrection of the church, the rapture, is going to happen. All who are born-again Christians are going to be gone. We're out of here. Uh, Then institutes a seven-year tribulation period. Uh, There will be a world ruler who will make a seven-year treaty with Israel. Uh, He will be the Antichrist. Then three and a half years through that treaty, he's going to break it, and Israel's trouble intensifies. Persecution like they've never faced is going to happen. It's called Jacob's Trouble. And uh, they're going to be hunted down and persecuted and killed as often as possible. Um, so, during that time, that tribulation, though, God is going to... Uh, 144,000 Jews are going to be sealed and protected. Uh, and then, uh, after that, the three and a half years, uh, when the Antichrist comes and reveals himself, Israel's going to turn and seek God again as a nation. Um, towards the end, Jerusalem is going to be attacked. Jesus returns. Uh, you, you read in Matthew 25 verse 31, a sheep and goat judgment. Basically, it's, it's talking about those who are enduring to the end. Those who have uh, uh, taken the mark are going to be uh, raptured to destruction. And those who endure toward the end are going to be allowed to go into the kingdom age, which is the millennium, which is a thousand years. Uh, after the a thousand years, the first universe is going to be burned up. So everything that we know of, this earth, this universe, is going to be gone. And then God is going to have a judgment for Satan, as well as the great white throne of judgment of believers of all time. And then after this happens, God will create a new universe, a new heaven, and a new earth. Here's the thing. You could be here. (laughs) But sadly, not everyone's going to be there who is not born again Christian. That's the key. That is the key to the whole thing. Um, look at Matthew chapter 13. Again, verse number 24. All right. Another parable he, he put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man. So now we kind of get some of this understanding, let's look at the parable again. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householders came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now look at verse number 36. Then Jesus uh, sent the multitude away, and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Now, who is the Son of Man? It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? So, we understand here that the householder is, uh, the one who sowed the seed is the, the Son of Man. So it's, it's God. And the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And God says that very specifically. Whoever whoever is here to hear, let him hear. Take note of this. This is important for us to understand. Okay, so we learn the sower is Jesus Christ, the field is the earth. The good seed is the children of the kingdom. The children of the kingdom are those who survived the tribulation and and those that are born during the millennial reign of Christ. Those are the children of the kingdom. Now, Matthew 10.22 says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, this passage is not for born-again Christians. This is for the Jews. But a lot of people take that verse specifically out of context and say, well, we have to endure to the end of our life in order to be saved. That's not true. He is talking specifically to the Jews that when they're going through the tribulation, their their goal is to make it to this line, (laughs) to survive. That's their goal. And Jesus was saying those that endure to the end will be able to go into the kingdom of, of, of heaven, into the millennium. That's not for born-again Christians. It's not talking about us. This is for them specifically. Now, if there was no sin and everyone was saved in the millennium, Christ would not have to rule with a rod of iron, right? Why would He have to rule with a rod of iron if there's no sin? There will be sin because people who survive to the end, they're they're still sinners. And they're they're going to be able to repopulate, things like that. And so, uh, Sin will still be in the lives of those who live and escape the tribulation that did not take the mark of the beast or worship the image of God. Now, the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now, in the millennium, sadly, not everyone's going to worship Jesus Christ as king. There's going to be those who want nothing to do with him, just like today. And um, so during that time, that's who the tares are. The ones, the children of the wicked one. Now the enemy, he says, is Satan, which is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the world, which is the end of the millennium. And the reapers are the angels. Um, Look real quickly. Let's see here. Uh, Turn with me to Revelation 19. Just very quickly. Verse number 11 kind of helps you understand a little bit about what's going to happen here at the end of the tribulation. It said, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a, a vesture dipped in blood, And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it that he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, Jump down to verse number 19. Says here and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of a uh, lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. This is where we get the term millennium from, a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Um, jump down to verse number 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. And they went up unto the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in this beloved city, Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is the exciting portion of Scripture where we get to see we win. <laughs> you know, This is where our, our adversary, the, the devil, we get to see that he gets his just due. Um, now, at the end of the thousand years, the end of the world's going to happen. We already read that Satan's going to be loose after being sealed away. He's going to deceive nations of people so that they are as numerous as the sand of the sea. They will surround Jerusalem to attack and overthrow Jesus as king. Uh, God will respond by sending fire from heaven, consuming those with the devil, killing them. Satan will then be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity and will never be able to escape or have any influence in the universe again. He will be in a place of eternal torment and being tormented. So this is what the, the parable of the tares is talking about. Talking about this millennial time that uh, uh, there's going to come a time where at the very end uh, the tares are going to be gathered, the weeds going to be gathered, the tares are going to be cast into the furnace, the fire which is this, the lake of fire. This is this is eternal damnation for the rest of eternity. Um. Warnings to heed. Warnings to heed. The reason why God writes this and tells us about this is because He doesn't want us to be ignorant of what's going to happen. He wants us to know and and to prepare, not just ourselves, but for us to understand what's going to happen. Now, before, during the tribulation time in chapter 19, talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's where we're at. And during that time will be the judgment seat of Christ. And so, while the tribulation is going on, we're going to be uh, with the marriage supper of the lamb in, in heaven already. We're going to come back with Christ during the millennial, um, and that's and we'll be there as well. Now, Christians will not go through the tribulation and the temptation decided with the devil during the millennium. We are saved from the wrath to come. Uh, that's that's one thing that's that is great. Um, I mean, this is something that that you should be excited about, that should thrill your soul. Uh, When you realize that you are no longer under the wrath of God and you will never experience His wrath. I mean, we can't even comprehend the wrath of God. We don't. We can't. Especially in our modern day, we we don't realize just how uh, what it is to be on the wrong side of of war and things like that. Uh, And when God's wrath finally comes upon uh, this world, Uh, be thankful that you are not under his wrath Uh, let's go to to romans chapter 5 real quick romans chapter 5 these are some verses i think that you know people should be shouting about should be excited about because honestly uh, these verses are the encouraging verses of scripture romans chapter 5 verse number 8 It says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We were enemies against God, but yet he loved us so much that he died for us and he forgave us. That's, that's amazing. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 3. Ephesians chapter 2. We read a little bit earlier tonight, but Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse number 3. says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the dest- desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So before we were saved, we were already under God's wrath. Everybody who is lost, everybody who is not a born-again Christian is now under God's wrath. He, they will experience God's wrath sometime. And uh, that's, why, that's why people need to get saved now. Because we don't know when they'll have another chance. Uh, that's why it's so important to go out there and give people tracks to give to be a witness because we don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back. We have no idea it could be even tonight it could be tomorrow and then after that their chance of getting saved is gone. It's no longer there. It's a scary thought. Now thankfully those who are born-again Christians will never have to experience God's wrath. But the warning is there to those who are not saved. Those who are not born again Christians. They are under the wrath of God even now. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 8. For from you, he's talking here to the church in Thessalonica. He said, For from you sounded out the word of of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to word, is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Uh, again, these these are, are verses that should encourage you. Showing you, look, we're not going through the tribulation. No matter how much people think we are, we're not going to be experiencing any of God's wrath. He has promised it in his word over and over and over again that we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry about it. That should be an encouragement to us to look. Because we're no longer under wrath, we need to live for Christ and do what we can now. Not living in fear, but living in that love that He has given to us, the peace that He has given to us to reach the world with the gospel. Look at chapter 5, verse number 9. Verse number 9 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, this isn't saying that there's only a few people who are going to get saved and a few people who are, who are under the wrath of God. It's not what he's talking about here. It is God's will that every person become a born-again Christian. That's God's will. He, he wants everyone to get saved. But not everybody will choose God. Those who do choose Christ, For salvation. He has appointed them not to experience wrath. His wrath. That's what this verse is meaning. It's not that He's picking some for wrath, some for heaven. That's not what this verse is talking about. This is talking about those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. These are no longer under wrath. Look at verse number 9. Sorry, we just read verse number 9. Look at verse number 10. Who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. These are key verses right here, especially number 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So here, Paul is telling them, look, you need to comfort yourselves about this. You're no longer under God's wrath. You need to rejoice in this. You need to be thankful for this. This is something that you need to be excited about. That, look, I don't have to experience God's wrath. He says, comfort yourselves Rejoice, edify, strengthen one another. That you don't have to go through this, that you can now serve God with a, clear, a clean heart and a pure heart, knowing that your future, your eternity, is secure with God. You no longer have to fear, am I going to lose my salvation? No. We're not appointed unto wrath. That's, that's why a person can't lose their salvation, because then they would be brought back under wrath again. It, it's not possible. It's not possible. Person cannot lose their salvation. So these are just some verses that help us. Look, Christians aren't going to go through the tribulation. They're not going to uh, be swayed and tempted during the millennium because we're not going to experience God's wrath. I don't understand it completely. I don't. Um, how, you know, everything that's going to happen during the millennium for us, I don't understand it completely, but I just know that it's better than having to go through the tribulation. That's for sure. Um, look at. Uh, The great warning here that He gives in Matthew chapter 13 is that every unbeliever or lost person will face the great white throne of judgment and the lake of fire. Back to Matthew chapter 13. Look at verse number 40 through 42 again. Jesus is saying, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, pay attention to this. Because it is serious with God. God desires no man to perish and to go to lake of fire. He wants nobody to go there. But He will not stop them if they choose that they want nothing to do with Him. That's why He has given them a free will. Verse number 40 says, "As "...therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world." Son of man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. These verses are referencing Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15. Now we don't have time to go there, but that's the great white throne of judgment. Actually, instead I do want to go there. Revelation chapter 20, real quickly. This is what's going to happen to every person who denies Christ as their Savior. Denies getting born again. Puts all their hope and trust and faith in anything besides Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter if it's it's another religion, if it's Buddha, if it's Muhammad, anything. Anything besides Christ for salvation. This is what their destiny and their eternity will be. Look at verse number 11. and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, that is your destiny. There's no, there's no change. The only way to change a person's destiny, their eternity, what's going to happen to them, is by trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior and getting your name in that book of life. That is the only way. Otherwise, until that happens, you are on this path, and you will be found guilty. Uh, And I believe God will show every single person every opportunity they had to trust Christ as their Savior. Every single time they refused to track, every single time that uh, they heard street preaching and started mocking with their buddies and their friends, saying, look at that guy, look at what he's doing. Every opportunity, someone called to their door and said, hey, I just want to tell you a little bit what, about salvation, what Jesus Christ did for you. Every time they said, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm okay. Every, every time that they had an opportunity to hear the gospel, I believe God is going to show them every single chance. And they're going to realize that they are without excuse. They had their opportunities. God gave them multiple opportunities And they rejected every single time that God tried to reach them. And they're going to end up being cast into a lake of fire and no one's going to know that they are there and no one is going to care. For all eternity, they're going to be spending, wondering, and realizing they blew it. They had their chance. It's a sad time. It really is why it's so important to reach this world but finally god will create a new heaven and the universe and a new earth and that's where we will be for all of eternity look at chapter 21 verse number one and i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea and i john saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down from god out of heaven And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. That's what we get to look forward to. We don't have to worry about the wrath of God. We get to look forward to verse chapter 21. (laughs) That's what we get to look forward to. I can only imagine it. No more pain. No more suffering. No more death. No more sorrow. That's something that we can be excited about. We can encourage one another with. Conclusion this evening. The parable of Terrors was written only in Matthew and explains what will happen during at the, end, or, uh, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now, the millennium is a real physical kingdom that will take place in the future and that, that Jesus will rule um, with a rod of iron. It's not a spiritual kingdom happening right now or a figurative kingdom that is just in people's minds. It's actually going to be a kingdom That will happen in the future. Um, The millennial reign will begin immediately after the second coming of Christ. Now, every born-again believer will not go through the tribulation, nor be tempted to side with Satan during the millennium. We're saved from the wrath to come, and will be raptured before the tribulation begins. Um, But if you are not saved this evening, you may end up going through the tribulation and experience the wrath of God upon this wicked world. Or you will die and go to hell before the tribulation. Unlike the left-behind books, there will be no second chance because God will send a great delusion and the world will completely believe the lies of the Antichrist about what happened to the Christians. Without Christ, you will stand before God at the great white throne and you will be cast into a lake of fire. That is why today is the day of salvation. Jesus is ready to come back any moment. He's ready. He's, he is prepared. All He's waiting for is the Father saying, look, son, go get your bride. <laughs> that's what He's waiting for. And uh, that's who you and I are. We are the bride of Christ. Can I ask you, are you ready for that moment? If not, today's the best day to get saved. You'll be judged in one place or another. It's either going to be the judgment seat of Christ, Or it's going to be the white throne judgment. Can I ask you which throne are you going to be standing before? If you're not sure, you don't know which throne you're going to be in front of. You need to get that settled tonight. I wouldn't leave this room if you didn't know if you're going to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ and being rewarded, or at the white great white throne of judgment and cast into the lake of fire. Don't put off that decision because you may not get an opportunity to make that decision for Christ. Don't put it off. That's why you need to be saved today. Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer. Father, I do thank you that you have given us this portion of Scripture. Lord, it is a good warning to those of what's going to happen in the future. Um, There is going to be a judgment coming. And for those who are lost, those who are, who are not a born-again Christian, those who are trusting in anything else besides Christ, they're going to be ending up being in that furnace, so to speak, which is the lake of fire. Lord, I, I do pray, Lord, if there's someone here that is not saved, God, that they, You would speak to their heart tonight. That they wouldn't allow their, their eternity to be uh, left up in the air that they would be sure that they know for 100% fact that they're on their way to heaven, that they're going to stand before the great white throne, or sorry, the, the judgment seat of Christ, and be rewarded, and be there for all of eternity with, with God in the new heaven and new earth. Lord, I do ask that if there's someone here that isn't saved, Lord, that they would come to Pastor or Brother Dan or myself, that, and that we could show them through the Scriptures how they can be saved, how they can be born again, Never have to worry about experiencing the wrath that you have for this world and those who reject you uh, from being um, their Savior. Father, I do ask that you would help us and encourage us as Christians to see the importance of why we need to preach the gospel now. Because if we don't, tribulation will come and it will be too late. And uh, Father, I, I I do pray that you would encourage us, strengthen us, God, for the work to come. Lord, there's people dying and on their way to hell all around us. And God, just help us to be this lighthouse in our community that uh, we can reach those who um, are in darkness and they need the light. Lord, I just ask that you encourage us, strengthen us, embolden us, Lord, to, to, to speak up and, and to, to talk to people about salvation. Father, we do love you. We do thank you again for that great mercy that you have that great love that you had on us when we were lost, that you loved us. You showed that love by Christ dying on the cross. and I just thank you so much, God, for that. And I do pray that you would encourage us tonight, Lord. We do love you, and we do thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.